morning that we worship a God who's bigger than the storms that come in our lives. Amen? Amen. Just thankful to know that even in the midst of the storms of life that we serve a God who's bigger, who, who can speak peace to our hearts and uh, bring peace into our lives. And so very thankful for that. And um, I pray that that's where we would put our hope, that our hope wouldn't be in anything other than Christ. And it would be all about him. And um, as this says behind me, it's all about Jesus. It really is. Life really is all about Jesus. And the, the, the quality of our life, I found, is not dependent on how much we have of things. It's dependent upon how much of Jesus we're allowing to work in our lives. And so I'm excited today to be able to worship with you. We have um, tons of our staff that are out of town. Um, a lot of our, our folks are gone, um, have evacuated from the hurricane. Um, and so we had kind of a skeleton crew this morning. So it's a few people got together and, and really um, brought this together this morning because this is what I believe. I believe that if we show up with a heart to worship Jesus and we have a Bible, then that's what we really need to see God move. It's not about all of the production. It's not about everything that we do that is so good so many Sundays. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit being here to work among us and being here to do what only he can do, changing people's hearts and changing people's lives. And so um, I'm excited about that today. One thing I'll tell you, um, after praying about it, um, we decided to postpone the A Better, uh, better uh, you think I would know the title of the, the series, the A Better Story series until uh, next week. And uh, there's nothing like making that decision on Friday and knowing you had to come up with something else on Sunday, right? And so, uh, but I'm excited about what the Lord put on my heart to share with you. It's not um, a message about storms necessarily. Um, it's, it's a message about the most important thing in our, relation, in our life, and that's our relationship with Christ. Uh, because what I found is that peace is not determined by our circumstances nearly as much as it's determined by how much we're resting in Jesus. And so um, I want to talk to you today out of Philippians chapter 3. If you can turn there, we're going to read the first um, couple of verses, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump into the message. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen, and we'll give you a Bible if you do not have one. If you go to our Next Steps table um, after service, we'd love to give you a Bible that you can have and take with you to read. All right, let's read the first uh, three verses. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi, and he says this. He says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He's got an exclamation mark there, right? So he's saying, rejoice in the Lord. He's excited about it. Sometimes we're not as excited about it as God is when we come into his house, but he's telling us to rejoice in the Lord. He says, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Let's pray and, and we'll jump into the message. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your heart for us. Thank you, God, that you, you speak so clearly to us through your word. I pray that today our hearts will be able to receive what you have. There's so much going on in the world around us. I pray that just for the next few minutes, we'd be able to focus on, on you and trust you with the things that go on around us so that you can speak into our hearts. God, I pray that this wouldn't be words that I've come up with, but they would be words straight from your heart to us. So God, guide my thoughts and my mouth and my words to say exactly what you want me to say, nothing less and nothing more. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We wanted to start out this morning asking you a question. I want to get uh, some honest hands this morning. We're in church, so you cannot lie. Um, but, but I want to get some honest hands this morning. And how many of you would say that excess, now this is the key, excessively happy and chatty people sometimes get on your nerves? Anybody that would, we've got honest people in the house this, today, right? Um, that's just not who I am. Um, I say more up here on the stage on Sunday morning during one message than I probably say the rest of the week. Um, I'm just not that chatty type of person. And, and sometimes uh, that excessively happy and chatty person can kind of kind of get on your nerves a little bit, kind of grate your flesh a little bit, you know. And uh, I was thinking about that and thinking about really um, my own personality. And I was thinking about what Paul said about rejoicing in the Lord. And I realized that probably I need to move a little closer to that side, right? Because my personality is, is not always one that is, is rejoicing. It's not always one that's just happy and, and, and chatty and, and that kind of thing. And I realized that, that maybe I need to swing a little bit to the other side of being more um, like that, rejoicing more in Christ, rejoicing more in the Lord. This is Paul's instruction to us that we should rejoice in the Lord. And, and, and so many times when we start out in our relationship with God, isn't that what it is about? Like when we were saved, you go back to the day that you were saved, if you have your faith in Christ and you've been saved, meaning that your eternity is bound up in Christ, that your sins are forgiven, that he's the Lord and savior of your life. And you go back to that day when that realization came and you go back to that day when, when you were saved and think about the joy you felt in your heart. Think about the power that came into your life. There was rejoicing that went on. I mean, you were excited. There were awesome things happening. But I would challenge you today to look at it and, and see, is that still existing in your life and in your relationship with Christ today? Because this is what I believe. And I, we're going to see this in Paul's life as he writes to the Philippians. I believe that God wants us to be excited about him. I believe that God wants us to rejoice in him. I believe that God wants us to have passion for him. And a lot of times people just make an excuse of it. And they say, well, you know, you just, once you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you just kind of lose it. Well, that's not acceptable, right? That's not what Christianity is about. It's about a living relationship with a living God. And if you can be in a relationship with the God who created everything that we see around us today, created everything that's outside of us today, all the way down to the very tiny cells and, and, and things that work in our body, if you can be in a relationship with that God, not being in awe of him and be in a place where that doesn't excite you, something's wrong. We need to check your pulse. And so what we've got to see and do is we've got to realize what we have in Christ. But so many times we start out and, and maybe you, you were saved and, and, and it was this six months of, of bliss and happiness and all this that happened. Or maybe, uh, you know, you've, you've been saved and, and for you, you come to church on Sunday morning and you hear a message or you get, you get inspired, right, from being in church and being in the presence of God. But when you leave by lunchtime, after lunch, it's gone. It's not there. And maybe um, for you, you've been following the Lord for like 20 years. And now it's just become one of these mundane things that you do. It's, it's more like putting your head down and just plowing forward than it is living rejoicing in the, the joy of Jesus, in the power of Jesus. I believe that's what he wants for us. I know I don't have that all the time, but I believe that's what he wants. And so today I want to talk to you about what, what, what causes us to lose 
that fire? What causes us to lose the luster? What causes us to lose the passion for God? And I want to talk to you about those things. This very first verse, again, he just tells us to rejoice with an exclamation mark. He's saying, do this. This is, this is what we exist to do, to rejoice in the Lord, to lift him up, to praise him. That's what we exist to do. And then he goes on and he says there in chapter 2, or verse 2, I'm sorry. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. He's, he's not happy right here when he's writing this. He's saying, look, these people are out to do you harm. They're out to do you evil. They're trying to bring you back under the bondage of the, the law or the rules of Judaism. Just from, from the very thing that you've been delivered from, they're trying to bring you back up underneath all of that. And he's saying, watch out for these people. He calls them dogs, which in that day was like, you know, it was really bad, right? And, and, and so he's, he's, he's passionate about this. He's telling them, look, watch out for these people. And the first thing that I think happens to us sometimes that destroys the joy, that destroys the passion, that destroys the fruit, that destroys our lives being lived in Christ is that sometimes we let our relationship with Jesus get hijacked by religion. We let our relationship with Jesus get hijacked by religion. And see, these dogs, again, were wanting to attack their freedom in Christ. They were trying to say, you need Jesus plus something else. You need Jesus plus this. You need Jesus plus circumcision. That's why Jesus or Paul actually references circumcision in the next verse. These people are saying you need Jesus plus this. And here's the reality people that I found is that what we really need, we can have nothing plus one thing and have everything. We can have everything minus one thing and have nothing. And that's Jesus. It's Jesus only. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so when we look at it and see that, uh, we got to understand that this is what we, we ought to be pursuing. This is what we ought to want and not allowing religion to come in and bind us up again. Not to come in and bind us up where we just take our Christianity, take our relationship with Jesus, take our, our fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and we just boil it down to a few rules. That if I do this and I do that, I'll be a good boy and God will love me. No, God loved you before you were saved. God loved you before you loved him. God loved you. In fact, the only reason you know what love is is because God loved you. And so we see that. We need to embrace that and not let anyone or anything or any church or anybody come in and put us back under rules rather than a relationship. The objection to this is always, if you don't tell them the rules, they'll never do what God wants them to do. That's, that's not true. Because when we come to a relationship with Christ, he gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us his spirit to change our hearts and give us a new heart. He creates us and recreates us into a new identity so that our desires begin to change. We become a new person in Christ. And so the old is gone, the new comes, and we can trust that if I'm just pressing into Jesus in my relationship with Christ, if I'm just pressing into Jesus through his word, through prayer, through church, through worship, through all of my life, if I'm truly seeking first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto me. He's going to take care of the rest. He makes it really simple. We're the ones who complicate it. It's not complicated. It's Jesus. It's pressing into him. And then he does the work from the inside out. Some of you 
Today, you need to stop trying to work from the outside in. You're trying to make yourself a good person. But see, Jesus didn't die for good people. Jesus died for lost people. Jesus died for sinful people, people that didn't have a clue how to make themselves right. And we need to realize that, that that's what Jesus died for. He didn't die to modify our behavior. He died to transform our hearts. And so we need to really see that. And, you know, when we fall into this trap of religion, um, we more, have more have-tos than get-tos, right? We have more have-tos. So we say, I have to go to church this morning. What you doing tomorrow? I got to go to church. Or, or we have to read our Bible. I got to read my Bible. It's on my checklist. I got to do it. We have to be generous. We get to be generous because God was generous to us. I have to serve. I have to go to connect group. And when you hear those things, these statements like this, it indicates that there's religion that's dominating your life, not a relationship with Jesus. Because when you're in a relationship with God, he begins to create our hearts to be like his heart, our, our passions to be like his passions. He begins to recreate us so that we desire the things that he wants for us. But so many times our relationship with Christ goes from a relationship to religious bondage. It was funny the other day, Reed and Jackson came to my office, which means they destroyed my office. Um, when they come in there, they just destroy everything. But my two youngest ones came to the office, and um, I was sitting in the chair. And, and next to the, the, one of the chairs in my office, I've got a little table. And on the table, I keep a Bible. Well, Reed walks over there, and he looks down, and he picks up the book, and he goes, you ever read this? <laughs> After I backhanded him, and he did three somersaults, I said, Reed, Reed, that's the Bible. And he goes, I know that. I meant, do you read this one? I was like, yeah, I read it. But sometimes, you know, we get into this thing where reading the Bible is, it's just about I got to, not that I get to. I mean, you get to engage with the word that it engages with you. It speaks to you. But when we get to the got to's, or the, the got to's instead of the get to's, or the I have to's instead of the get to's, it begins to rob us of what Jesus wants in our life. We can just walk mundanely and robotically through life as a good Christian, but not enjoying and rejoicing in the Lord in our presence. So many of us are like, we're starving to death for something. We're starving to death for something. And it'd be like if we were physically hungry and there was a buffet set up in a room and we sat there and we never went to the buffet to eat. But this morning, I want to tell you that Jesus has a spiritual buffet for you that will satisfy you, that will satisfy your deepest longing. And the craziest thing about Christianity is this, is that it can satisfy you all in one moment. And at the same time, it can cause you to want more of what you have. It's like a holy dissatisfaction in the way it works, because yes, I'm satisfied in Jesus, but I want more of him. And that's what Paul's gonna tell us in just a minute. Let's read, let's read on. It says in verse four, he says, he's talking about those dogs, those people who come in and are trying to put them under this religious bondage. Paul fought against these people all of his ministry. He says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. What's he talking about? He's talking about, I have done a lot of good things in my life. I followed Judaism to a T, is what he's gonna tell us. 
And he's saying, I've done all of these things. If anybody's going to put confidence in what they've done to save them, it ought to be me. And so this is what he's saying. He says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, he says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And Paul's not trying to be arrogant. He's not trying to be cocky. He's just telling them the truth. Listen, if you really want to try to save yourself this way, then let me tell you what I've done. Let me tell you where I've been. Let me tell you my story. And he says, I have more. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in the regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. The second thing that sometimes causes us to lose the fire in our heart for God, that it becomes more about religion than it does about our relationship, is that we oftentimes begin to think that our religious achievement is what saves us. That somehow our religious achievements, the things we've done for God, is what saves us. And Paul is correcting that right now. He's saying, look, if anybody could be saved by works, it would be me. He says in this, he goes, you know, I was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, Paul's saying, I was raised in church. He said, I've been to church more than you have. Been to the synagogue, which is like their church. I've been there more than you. I was there every time the doors opened. They even circumcised me on the eighth day according to the tradition, according to the law of Judaism. He's saying, so I've done this. I've done this since I was born. He says, of the people. He talks about how he's from the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, he's saying, I've got the right pedigree. I come from the right people. I'm a descendant of Abraham, right? Which is the big deal for the Jews because they felt like because they were children of Abraham that they were somehow going to be saved because of that birthright. And the reality of it is that we see in this is Paul saying, listen, it's not your pedigree that saves you. It's your relationship and faith in Christ. And so he's saying, don't think that your pedigree is going to do that for you. And see, there's some people that think this, that they think that my grandparents were Christians, my parents are Christians, so that makes me a Christian. No, it doesn't. Their faith can't save you. You have to have your own belief. You have to have your own faith. You have to come to your own decision about who Jesus is and understanding what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do for you. But we can't just say, well, you know, I... I've grown up Christian. Well, growing up Christian doesn't do anything except put you in a position, hopefully, to have the Spirit work in your life and you come to a relationship with Jesus. God's not impressed with our spiritual accolades. You think about the things that we can do to try to please God, try to earn our salvation, the greatest things we can create out of our lives. And you look at God who created the stars, who created the planets, who who created the earth and everything in it, the Grand Canyon, the mountains, everything that we see and we see what he's done. Do you really think he's impressed with the things that we can do for him? No. No. And so we have to realize that our religious achievement doesn't save us. It says, as he goes on, In there, he says this. He says, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. In other words, what he's trying to tell us here is I had status. I was somebody. I had a name. People looked up to me. People respected me. And the thing that I would challenge you with today is that 
It's not your name that saves you. It's the name of Jesus that saves us. And so we can't come to this place where we think we've reached a certain status. We've gotten to a certain level. And because of that, look, look at me. Look how good I look in the church. Look how good I look in my, my suit and my tie or my blue jeans and my boots. Look how good I look. Look at how far I've gone, how far I've come. That doesn't save us. If anything, it's a danger that we would put our trust in that, in our name versus the name of Jesus. He goes on and says, as for zeal, persecuting the church. So we can have all the passion in the world. But if it's not directed in the right direction, it's meaningless. Paul had a lot of passion before he became a Christian. He had so much passion, he was killing Christians. He thought he was doing a great work for God, but his passion was directed in the wrong direction. Some of us are passionate about things that don't matter. We're passionate about things that don't last. We lose our mind over the Georgia Bulldogs beating Notre Dame, but then we can't come to church and lift our hands to praise the one who saved our soul. And I love me some Bulldogs, don't get me wrong. I was hooping and hollering with them last night. But guys, we gotta remember what Jesus has done, not about what we can do or the passion in our hearts that is even directed in the right place. And the last one he says here is, he says, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. In other words, I, was, I had my life cleaned up. He said, you couldn't find fault with me. You could have taken the law, which they, they had developed 613 laws that they had to follow. He said, you could have taken those 613 laws, put them up next to my life. And he said, I would have matched up to it perfectly. This is how disciplined he was. This is how passionate he was. This is how, how, how faithful he was to what he thought was true. But I want you to understand something today. The law, the letter of the law, the, the rules of the law. It will bridle your behavior to a degree. But it's the Holy Spirit that transforms our heart. So that the only thing that we can do through rules is bridle the temptation to some degree. Jesus tells us this, that if we'll come to him, he'll transform our hearts. He'll write the law on our hearts, not on tablets of stone like the Ten Commandments, but on our hearts so that we begin to live that way because of who he is and what he's done in our lives. Look at verses 7 through 9. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. The third thing that sometimes happens to us is the worries and cares of the world begin to choke out the fruit of God in our life. See, Paul had come to this crazy place, this awesome place, this place of contentment, that he realized that nothing on this earth was gonna last. He knew that nothing on this earth could compare to his relationship with Jesus. 
And the thing that's crazy about this is that the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the books in the New Testament, is saying, I just want to know Christ. I just want to know Jesus. And he's crying out of his heart, saying, I just want to know him. He's saying, because when I know him and I see him clearly, I see how worthless all this other stuff is. He's saying, I've, I've lost it all. I gave it all away. It's all behind me. It's stuff that used to matter. It doesn't matter now because I see how awesome, how amazing, how true, how righteous, how good, how loving God is. And when I compare all of life to the love of God, everything else comes up short. And we really understand what God's done for us. We're able to see and understand Paul's thinking and his position and his life. Because he knew the love of Christ. He knew what Jesus had done for him. And so he's in a place where everything else began to fade. Somebody made the comment, actually I heard it a couple of times this morning, about how much money we've spent trying to avoid the storm. And I think that's wise. I'm not saying that's wrong. I think that's wise to get out of the way of the storm. But the thing we have to understand is that one day a bigger storm is coming. A storm that is going to be the end of this world and the beginning of another. And the question we've got to ask ourselves is, am I preparing for that? Am I prepared for that? Do I, am I clothed? Am I robed in the righteousness of Christ? Am I preparing my heart for that? Because that's the real question so many times the cares and the worries of this temporary world choke out the life and the blessing and the the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and goodness and faithfulness the gentleness the self-control all of those things the love of God that he wants to put in our hearts he wants to be in our lives it chokes it out because we're so concerned with the things of this world the things of today and I've come to this conclusion that if we are ever going to consistently rejoice in the Lord. We've got to settle on the fact that this world is our temporary home. It's not where we'll spend eternity. And in light of how fast this world, this life moves, doesn't it make sense that we would store up treasure in heaven more than we store up treasure on earth, that we would prepare for that life more than we prepare for this one. Because we see and we have experienced that the joys and the happiness of the things that come from this life, and we do find joy and happiness in the things in this life, but they're temporary. Whereas the relationship, the, the eternal joy that you can have in Christ, it lasts forever. And so we can't let the worries of this world choke out the fruit of God. That's why some of us have lost our passion, our, lost our fire. We've lost our zeal for God. Is the world's choking it out. Listen, I'm not standing up here looking down on you for that today. I struggle with this myself. I have a difficult time. Because we are blessed. That life is good. Even, even when we get put out by a hurricane, life is good. If I didn't have another day after today, I couldn't be angry with God. Look how he's blessed me. Look how good he's been. I hope I have a lot of them, but look at how good he's been, right? 
And sometimes we lose sight of that. We lose sight of how good he is. If we're going to consistently rejoice in the Lord, We've got to come to a place where we realize with God is where my eternal home is going to be. And we begin to invest in that place. Verse 10. It says, I want to know Christ. That's always amazes me that the apostle Paul is saying, I want to know Christ. I want to know him more. I want to know him deeper. I want to understand his love greater. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. The fourth reason that sometimes we we start out on fire for God and then it begins to wane is because our motive for coming to Christ was wrong to begin with. Our motive for coming to Christ was wrong. Sometimes that motive is driven by fear. By fear. We, we walk into an understanding or a revelation of, of God's judgment. And we, we, we begin to sense and believe that there's a God who will judge us. And so fear begins to pull us to Christ for a season. But this is what I've seen, y'all, is, is this, that fear does not keep us living for Jesus. Fear is the beginning of wisdom and fear can help us discover Jesus, but until we realize that it is, it is his loving kindness and his grace that draws us to him, until we've experienced his love and the power of his forgiveness and his willingness to lift us up out of the mire and the muck and the things that go on in life, until we realize the goodness of God, we'll never live for him consistently. There were times in my life when, when, when things would happen and I would be afraid and I would come to God. In fact, one of the reasons oftentimes that we come to Jesus is because of a major event in our life. Think about after 9-11, everybody went to church. How long did that last? Not very long because the fear wore off. Sometimes when someone in our family passes away and we're confronted with death, We want to draw close to God. But how long does it last? Typically not very long. And what we've got to understand is that what God wants us to see is his great love for us. His great love for us. And sometimes when we come to Christ, it's driven even by selfishness. We come to him for our selfish reasons. To see what we can get from him rather than worshiping him from what he's already given. And so we are driven by selfishness. Sometimes we come to Christ because we think that, that if I come to Jesus and I give my heart to Jesus, everything's going to be easy. Everything's going to be, be just perfect in my life. God never promised that. In fact, he promises the exact opposite. He says, in this life, we'll have trouble, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. And so he tells us it's not going to be easy. The only problem with the health and wealth gospel The prosperity gospel is the Bible. If the Bible didn't exist, then we could buy into that. But if you look even at the Bible and you look at history and you look at the the lives of the disciples, did things get easy for them because they came to faith in Christ? 
Absolutely not. Ten of the eleven, throwing, throwing Judas out of the whole mix, ten of the eleven died martyrs' deaths. They died for their faith in Christ. Some were crucified. The legend is that Peter was actually crucified upside down. The legend is that, 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 that they took James, the half-brother of Jesus, and threw him off of the temple. He didn't die, so they stoned him to death. Did it get easy? No. But like I told you at the beginning of this, it's not easy circumstances that brings peace into our life. It's Jesus and our relationship with him that brings peace. What I've seen is, and what I know is this, because I've seen it so many times, the circumstances around me typically do not determine whether I am rejoicing or whether I am depressed. It's typically how close am I to Christ? How close am I to Jesus? How much trust, how much am I putting in him? How much am I leaning on him rather than leaning on my own desires? In verse 10, Paul tells us that the true motive of coming to Christ is I want to know him. And I want to know this God who gave his life for me. I want to know this God who was willing to come to earth, to put on flesh, to go to the cross, to die for me. I want to know this God who became a curse for me so that I could become blessed. I want to know this God who took my sin upon himself and took the punishment for my sin so that I could be made right with him. He exchanged my wretchedness for his righteousness. I want to know this God. I want to know this God who sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of me, who sends his Holy Spirit to guide me, who sends his Holy Spirit to transform my heart so that I become a new person. I want to know that God. I want to know, he even says, I want to know the power of the resurrection. Here's where we get to sometimes, y'all. We get to this point where we say, I want to know the power of the resurrection. And we're like, woohoo, power of the resurrection. And we stop there. But Paul goes on and he says, I want to know the power of the resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. What the heck, right? He's like, I want to know the power. And if it brings suffering, bring it on. I want to know the power. If it even brings death, bring it on. Because I know that what God has done for me, I know what God has done in me is greater than anything the enemy can ever do to me. And so we, we can have this True motive to come to Christ, not because he makes it easy, but because he's God. Because he's the one who paid the price for our sin. Because he's the only one, he's the only bridge between us and God that crosses over this gap that sin created between us. It's in Christ that we're able to go to the other side to reach and know and come boldly into the presence of God. And so our motive for Christ sometimes is wrong. The last one, verses 12 through 14. He says this, he says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
when you look at that scripture, he talks about pressing on. I press on. I continue to go. I continue to strive. I continue to seek. And sometimes the reason that we lose our fire is because we quit digging. We quit digging. We, keep, we, quit, we quit pursuing. We keep, quit pressing on. And we just take it for what it is. Whatever it is, I'll just, I'll take it. You know, it is just what it is. And uh, Jesus is good. Amen. I love him with all my heart. But I got no fire in my belly. And so we just settle for whatever mundane Christianity looks like. Whatever religiosity looks like. And we quit digging. And I would, I would say this. I would say this is one of the most common reasons that we lose our intimacy, our fire, our passion for Jesus. is because we quit pressing on. Some of us have gotten to a point where we've read the Bible and we know what most of the books of the Bible and the chapters of the Bible say. And so we quit pressing on. Do you really think you've exhausted the amazing purposes and the amazing attributes that God wants to show you? We'll never exhaust that in all of eternity. It's why the angels sitting around the throne singing, holy, holy, holy. It's because every time they think they've described God and they've called him holy, God shows them something else. And then they're like, oh, holy, holy, holy. Wow. We'll never exhaust the riches of Christ. We'll never exhaust the, the magnificence of God. There's more for us. God wants more for us. God wants more for us than stale, dead church services where nothing happens. He wants to see people coming to know Christ. He wants to see people coming to know the Lord. He wants to see marriages put back together. He wants to see addictions broken. He wants to see people get their identity in him rather than the identity in who they're, they're dating or who they're with or what they wear or what they drive or what they live in. He wants to see us come to a place where we're finally settled and secure in him. It's what God wants for us. We haven't exhausted the riches of Christ. We never will. It's impossible. But we've got to press in. We've got to press on. We've got to be in the word, not because we have to, but because we get to. I get to see what God's going to say to me today. And sometimes, y'all, it's like, it's like the best thing ever. It's like, you know, killing a 10-point buck and hitting a hole in one all in one day, right? It's like you get into the Bible and it's just, woo, it's good. And then some days you get into the word and you're like, dang. But you know what? When you feel that way, if you will press on and you will press in with a desire to hear the voice of God, your feelings at that time may not line up with what you think they should line up with. But it's not about our experiences and our feelings lining up with what we want. It's about our feelings and experiences beginning to line up with what he wants and what's in his word for us. And, and it's just like walking in here and, and, and not feeling like worshiping, not feeling like raising my hands, not feeling like pressing into God through the music or through the word. But what I found is if I'll just press in, all those things follow. And I want to encourage you that if you're in a place where you feel like, man, I was walking with the Lord and all of a sudden it feels like he just, just disappeared. I would tell you this, and I would encourage you with this. 
I don't believe God is, I don't believe God has abandoned you. I know he hasn't because he promises to never leave us nor forsake us. What I found is in those times, God's not trying to leave me. God hasn't forgotten me. In fact, it's the exact opposite. He is intently drawing me closer to himself. And you say, how is that happening? Because when we begin to sense that God is distant, it makes us want to dig in and press on to God even more. Once we've tasted the goodness of God. And someday we just have to make up our mind. I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to press into him. I've never heard anybody say I made the dumbest mistake in my life when I was doing what the Bible says. I've never heard anybody get to their last few breaths and say, I wish I had not spent so much time pursuing Jesus. Because you'll never regret serving the Lord. You'll never regret pursuing Jesus. Even when things become more difficult because you do. You'll never regret a relationship with Christ. Religion and rules without a relationship can't do for us what a relationship with Jesus can do. So I'm going to finish with that. I'm starting to sweat through my shirt, so it must be time to stop. (laughs) I was glad to see Paul up here with a little shimmer on his bald head because it made me know I'm not the only one that sweats up here. And uh, I want to finish with that. But listen, here's the challenge for us is one, if you're not in a relationship with Jesus, but he's speaking to your heart and you know he's drawing you close, then today let's change that. Let today be the day of salvation for you where you come to faith in Christ. And then two, look, I don't know what it is, maybe one of these things that you can identify with. Listen, let's, let's get beyond that. Let's move on with the help of the Spirit and by drawing on the strength of Christ. Let's move on from that. And let's let God do in us and through us what he desires to do. But if you're here and you would say, I don't have a relationship with Christ. I don't have a relationship with God. I need it, but I don't have it. He's never changed my heart. He's never done anything in my heart. But he's speaking to my heart today. And I don't want a relationship with him. Then what I want to ask you to do right now is I want you to stick your hand in the air and say, look, that's me. I need a relationship with Jesus. I need to know God. I want to put my faith and my trust in him. I'm going to live for him. Let him become the Lord of my life and the king of my life, the savior of my soul. Then I want to pray for the rest of us. I want to pray for the rest of us. In fact, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to stand if if you're in a place where you would say, God, I need you to refresh me. I need you to raise these dry bones. I need you to put life into these dry bones because my relationship with you has grown somewhat stale. Here's the thing, guys. Everybody goes through those seasons. But today I want to pray for you that God would give you a fresh wind of his spirit in your lungs, in your heart that he would begin to revive in you what he started in you maybe a long time ago. And so I want to ask you, if you're here today and you say, I need that, I need God to refresh me, I want you to stand up so we can pray together and believe in faith that 
that God's gonna work in our hearts and our lives, that God's gonna work. I believe this, when we ask, we receive. When we seek, we find. When we knock, the door's open. If we seek him, we'll find him. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing today in our hearts. God, I thank you for what you're doing in my own heart, in the hearts of those who are standing, and even in the hearts of those who are sitting, maybe that just couldn't stand. But I pray, God, that you would speak to them, that you would speak to us, that you would draw us close. Lord, set our hearts on fire for you. God, let everything else that's not of you begin to fade in our hearts and in our minds. Let us be what you want us to be and who you want us to be. Give us that fire in our bones, God, that if we don't share the gospel, we're going to explode. And give us wisdom as how to go about sharing that with others. Or just breathe your fresh wind, your fresh spirit into our hearts, into our lungs. But I thank you that the breath we breathe is the breath that you blew into Adam's body as you created him from nothing. And God, that breath has continued throughout all of humanity. So God, as we sang earlier, it's your breath in our lungs. So God, let us use that to praise you with all that we have in every way. Let us count it as loss the things that maybe we used to put our trust in because now we find a greater way, a better way in Jesus. God, let us press into you. Give us new hearts. Give us new desires to press into you. And even when we don't feel it, God, that we'd make a decision to press into you. We love you and we thank you. We praise you and we praise your name for who you are and what you do and how you do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Hey, listen up real, real quick. Got one quick announcement. Um, Tuesday, we're going to meet here at 9 o'clock, and we're going to be taking supplies for hurricane victims and uh, people who are struggling. We're going to see what the damage is in Statesboro, and, and we, we're going to bring chainsaws and trucks and trailers, the good old boy stuff, and we're going to go out into the community or, or wherever we can be helpful. We're going to go, and we're going to try to do cleanup. We're going to try to work. We're going to pray with people, that kind of thing. And so if you want to do that Tuesday morning at 9 o'clock, we're going to meet here at the church and do that. Bring those supplies we listed up there um, on the board or on the screen. And, uh, and let's, let's really be, be the church and, and be people who go out and share the love of Christ through the things that we do, right? You guys be safe and, and be wise, and I hope to see you next week. God bless you.